0: Welcome back to another episode as we are celebrating the Hispanic Heritage Month and we are speaking with Fleet Master Chief Marco Ramirez, a dear friend of mine, I love him to death. Fleet Ramirez was the 16th Pacific Fleet Master Chief, over oh, the largest AOR that the Navy has and a huge amount of responsibility there. Fleet, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: thank you very much, man. It's always a pleasure to to meet and see and greet with you, man. You always make me happy. Thank you.
0: Oh, thank you for being with me. And like I said, we're celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, but before we get into all the questions about what it is to be Hispanic and also a sailor, tell us a little bit about you.
1: As a Hispanic boy... Um, trying to be a man and joining the Navy, Um, I had saw that um, my life here before joining the Navy, after high school, I was going to community college and my friends, I just saw them get into trouble one by one and and the environment I was in. And I thought, man, I need to get out of here. My dad was in the Air Force and I decided to go ahead and skip that and uh, want to do something different. I said, well, I think I'm a pretty good swimmer. I'm going to join the Navy. I joined the Navy in 1984, I left and didn't come back until 2015 32 years later so it's it's been a big journey the navy's been very good to me and after boot camp i went to a school in lakehurst new jersey and in that uh, a school i got my uh, i graduated number 1 in my class and i got to pick orders and there was only six of us and there was uh, i'm sorry nine of us and out of the nine there were nine set sets of orders one order to guam and the others were to nine different carriers And so I looked it through, and I could have picked orders to shore duty my first time, but I said, nope. And I got to be an aviation boatswain's mate and equipment, launching jet aircraft off the aircraft carrier. I'm going to the USS Enterprise in Alameda, California. Good tour with the Enterprise, good folks, good leaders. I learned a lot from a lot of the leaders over there. And uh, after I left the Enterprise, I went to um, San Diego in Miramar. Uh, with a a BAW-110 as a flight line coordinator for E-2 squadron. During that time, I couldn't make first class. I kept trying to make E-6, and I was having the hardest time. And uh, the Navy came out with a message and said, hey, there's too many. My rate was overmanned, and they were offering them early outs if they wanted to, or they could go to another rating. Those days, they had the link magazine, where you would communicate with your detailers through the link magazine, come out like once a month from your detailers. And in that was an advertisement of, hey, can you type? We need Navy legal men. And I said, heck, I could type. So I put in an application and uh, went through that process and got accepted to go to the Naval Justice School. So after I went to work for that BAW 110, I got accepted. I went off to uh, Newport, Rhode Island to the Naval Justice School. I was able to uh, graduate at the bottom of my class, but I finished. And they, they sent me to uh, Navy communication Station Harold D. Holt, where I was the only legal man there. And the blessing for that was I got a chance to do everything everything in that legal man community, like claims, military justice, um, family law, uh, command advice, trial defense, doing the record of trial at court martials. I was able to do all of that, and that made me very proficient. So I had a about 18 months uh, there working with the Royal Australian Navy. But yeah, so I left. Uh, after I left Australia, I went to the USS Carl Vincent and I had made first class in Australia. So I'm going to go to USS Carl Vincent. And that was the command that I had to take a step back because once I walked in there, it was just like a busy legal office. There was another first class and he was senior to me. And his name was Ellen One Cotton, Steve Cotton from Louisiana. And he asked to get my service record and he screened it right in front of me and just looking at me. And he said that I had a good record and he thought I could do good. And therefore he was going to give me the administrative separation desk. And he gave me about 48 records, service records, and said, these guys have already been separated. You just got to make sure that all their processes have gone through. These guys, you need to start the process. And these guys, blam, them. I had stepped out of that office, took a knee and thought, geez, can I really do this job or not? And so um, I just, went back the next day and um just started one record at a time one sailor at a time and talking to Washington asking if they could help me at BUPERS and PERS 83 and they went ahead and give me some help and um pretty soon I had cleared all that load and at the end of that first year the commanding officer gave me a plaque and called me the terminator and said that I was uh, responsible for uh, separating uh 10 percent of the crew if you could believe it so uh I thought I tried to make cheap a couple times on the interp- I mean, on the Carl Vincent, and I, I didn't. And they sent me to the Navy Legal Service Office in uh, Washington State, Bremerton, Washington, where that was the first time I got to work with just legal men and doing legal stuff. And they were all hard charging first class, and I guess everybody was trying to make first. And um, I had some eye opening experiences over there where I learned um, just how to be a better leader and uh, how to ask for help because we had got her first evaluations after being there for a year, and I thought I was doing a good job. And everybody would get 4.0 evaluations. We had 12 first class petty officers. So the way the 4.0 evaluation scale worked was if you got ranked the top 50% out of the 12, six would get ranked, six wouldn't. And when I looked at my eval right away when they were debriefing me, my exo Bruce McDonald, Commander McDonald. I looked at it and I wasn't ranked. And right there I knew, man, I'm not even gonna make chief this year. And I asked him, I said, hey, sir, why? Why wasn't I ranked? What did I do wrong? And I had a pad, I was ready to write down my deficiencies. And I could see that that was made him very uncomfortable and he didn't know what to really do. I guess nobody hit him like that before. And he uh, was reaching for his phone trying to call my department head to uh, come in and and help debrief, but uh, he couldn't get through to him, I guess. And uh, he ended up telling me that he said, you know, your department says that you're a clock watcher. And I said, well, what's that? I don't even know what that is. And he said, you come in at a certain time and you leave at a certain time. And I said, well, they told me that's what I needed to do. And no one told me I needed to do anything different. I just do what I'm told. If I knew that was a deficiency, I wouldn't. I come to here as a shore duty after I get off the ship, I'm helping my wife. Um, take my daughter to daycare and I pick up my daughter at a certain time. If it's, if I pick her up too late from the CDC there on base, you get fined for it. So I just uh, stay in between those times. And had I known it was going to be, it was looked upon uh, badly, I wouldn't have done. It. Uh, and he said, no, no. And uh, I said, you know, the hard thing for me now, sir, is that I'm going to have to go home and talk to my wife and let her know that I got an evaluation where I wasn't ranked and I'm not going to have any chance of making chief this year um maybe next so there's a pay raise gone and I don't know how, what I did to fail and uh he went in to talk to my commanding officer my commanding officer came back and said oh you don't have to have a conversation with your wife like that it's going to be okay you're going to do okay and then um he left and my exo sat down and he said you need to go and be better and do a better job of talking to your leaders you should check in with them once a week and ask them What am I doing that I'm doing good so I continue doing it? And what am I doing that I'm doing bad so I can stop doing it? You ask those questions, I guarantee you're going to be successful. And I took that advice. And the next year I made Sailor of the Year at that command, Legalman of the Year. They flew me out to uh, Washington, D.C., where I got to meet the Judge Advocate General. They took me into the Pentagon. And um, the first thing that I saw, believe it or not, on this special month was... um, a tribute to all the Hispanics who won the medal of honor since the civil war to that point in time. And there were 61 Hispanic Americans who, uh, who won that award. And, uh, two of them were in the Navy, 13 of them were in the Marine Corps and 46 were in the army, uh, hard charging people that died for their country. And, uh, 42 of them um, had been awarded after they passed away. But that just, I sat there in awe and just was like looking at each and every one of their stories. And I just, I felt like I was in a, a place of presence, you know, just there to see those heroes die for their country. And it was a—it was amazing to me. And I had, I left there with a very good experience and I made Chief the very next year.
0: Having that experience to go there during that month, which is like what we're sharing Right now, right? How did you feel being Hispanic yourself at that moment?
1: You know, I was so proud. I was so proud to see that in that Hall of Honor of the Pentagon. And right behind them was pictures of, like, General Milley. Admiral Borda's name was up over there. And uh, you got to see all of them. And Admiral Borda's light uh, was the only portrait that had light on it. It was very inter- interesting to me but I was so proud and it really made me think about all of the Hispanic folks that go to school and they have no mentorship they have no direction and after they graduate they are just turned loose and they leave their house and they try to make it on their own with no direction no mentorship no point of view and I think that There's so many of our folks that are like that because that's what happened to me. I didn't have mentorship. I didn't have the guidance. I didn't have, hey, you're gonna go to college after this. It was like, you know, figure it out, dude. And so um, those people, a lot of them go and join the military. And those, they go off to be the heroes, but they're also the ones that are on the front line that come back in a body bag. And there are a ton of them and they don't get recognized for their efforts of what they did and how they served their country. Instead, you know, they get talked about, about, you know, why are they coming to this country? And so it's made me very conflicted, you know, about that. But that's kind of what I thought about there. And to see those Hispanics, 61, receive that Medal of Honor, just put the icing on the cake. But they, they went and they fought for their country. And they, some of them lived, some of them died, you know. So all those emotions went through when I saw those 61 Hispanic Americans who've won that medal of honor since the civil war up through the current wars that we've had.
0: You know, the fact is that Hispanics served uh, their nation. They went out and did the hard work. Uh, You get into this hall and you're surrounded by so many Hispanic figures that have gotten the highest award. Our nation can give a service member, which is so inspiring right and i'm sure that you yeah. felt some of that inspiration
1: oh it did it, it made yeah it made me want to do better from then on all the time all the time you know i will strive to be better for my country for my family for myself and um and it helped me i think that was a turning point for me from then i just i was just launched
0: and so, uh, so you go from uh, this conversation with a, a mentor, uh, uh, obviously a leadership figure at your company that gave you a pivotal uh, leadership lesson uh, because communication is key that yeah. took you, you made chief and, and then, you know, you go through several iterations of places and things of that nature. When I met you in 13, 14, um, yeah. yeah um, you rose to the highest rank. Uh, short of <laughs> you, Well, You know, there's a,
1: let me tell you a story. You are, uh, you, um, I don't know if you remember this, but you were the first one to meet me when I got off that airplane with your wife and, and your your child. And I'll never forget that. And uh, during my time as a fleet mass chief, whenever there was a problem in Hawaii, it was you who solved it. You brought that chief's mess. It was Mark Sabal. He was the godfather. Marks the ball would bring that cheese mess together. And um, you learned so much from that guy. And he had so much faith and trust in you that he always told me, he said, this guy's going to, he's a keeper. You keep him close to you. You take care of him. And then he went and retired. And you were the one that picked up the ball and the baton and kept everything together and made it run. And you did really good things with Ty. You guys did good.
0: You mentioned... Early on, that decision to not stay, and I, I wanted to kind of piggyback off of that sentiment sure. because as young Hispanics, sometimes we're in elements, environments that are not suited for growth. Uh, for whatever reason, we do that to ourselves. I was in a similar situation in Puerto Rico where I looked around and I said, there's no way, being the type of person I am, that I could stay in this environment. And sure enough, I would come back on leave and sure enough, the same people in the same corners, right? Uh, yep. Or less because they passed away. But you saw that and you said, okay, there's got to be something greater. And your leader there, when you were going through, they gave you that tidbit, that kind of like made an anchor for you between the time that you realized, hey, there's not much here. I wanted to get your sentiment around that time because i've always wondered why we do that to our communities when we have so much potential why do we keep our communities down uh in in the hispanic uh culture um and and what's the difference between that person that just says i gotta go something greater
1: yeah no i agree with you 100 just some folks just they have a hard time doing what they're told and they want to fight authority. Uh, that's part of like growing up, I guess. You know, I fight authority and authority one. Um, but the shame is that we just don't give our brothers and sister Hispanics that are growing up the mentorship of saying, hey, you got to go to school. You got to study. Here's how you, we could help you. You go to college and then you go off and you find your way. And um, I didn't have that. And so I was trying to stumble around and figuring out. I thought, oh well, I guess I got to go to college after I graduated from high school. So I had a part-time job, and then I went to community college, and I did that for two years. But I just it was in this rut. I could just see all around me and stuff. And my friends that were around me, they didn't have the mentorship either. And so some of them turned to they were doing drugs. They were selling drugs. They were just doing some bad things. And then others just weren't doing anything. They were just living off their mom or dad, you know, and and just not being productive. And I guess what always was in my mind was my dad was in the in the Air Force, so it had I was born with that ID card in my pocket, so I kind of had discipline within me of there's got to be something better. And um, and it's hard to cut ties because when I joined the Navy, I didn't know how to do my laundry. My mom did it all for me. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to do a lot of everything. So, before I'm leaving, my dad has his kind of like first conversation with me about hey, you know, cheaper to buy a whole chicken and learn how to cut it up and put it in the freezer. And then you could, you know, live off that. And, you know, gave me some of that advice. And he also told me that I was going to meet people who are going to be good people and bad people. I was going to meet people who, always strive to do better and people who did the minimum amount and some who did nothing at all. And just to stay away from those bad people, but to look, listen and learn. And I took that. And when I went to the enterprise, it was during the time of three strikes and you're out, you know, in my, in my barracks room, there was four people. And out of the four, three smoked marijuana during that time. And so it was just very, it was very, it was a difficult. So you'd either get drawn with a group that did bad things or you just try to find and work your way out. And it was just always the dilemma for me and a challenge. And, and I think the beauty that I had was I was able to be friends with the the bad folks and be friends with the good folks and kind of blended in, in the middle You know, of trying also to remain in the shadows and not do those bad things. Um, but I certainly was around them. I can't say that i that I wasn't. and I just was lucky that um I was just never the one that was like caught. You know, I remember being in in uh, in a school in Lakehurst, New Jersey. I was twenty one years old already. So I could drink. And so we were sitting at this park bench after school one day, and we were drinking a six pack of beer. And the police security guys came, and the guys that I was drinking with, They were acquaintances, but not really my friends. They take it off because they're underage drinking. And I just didn't put any of that together. But I stayed there. And the policeman asked for my ID card. I gave, saw that I was 21. He said it was okay. And then um, I get called the next day to go into the school command master chief. And he sat me there and goes, you're 21 and you could drink. This is a training command. You can't drink. And it's an order that you're not supposed to. I didn't know any of that stuff, but I just was... So I learned that way, and they taught me. I guess I could have gotten in trouble and they could have uh, done some worse things to me, but they didn't. They kind of counseled me in a negative way to let me learn um, hey, this is a deficiency and you can't do that. Don't. And so I learned not to, you know. And I think that there are some of us around there that aren't as lucky. They go through something like that. Instead of getting counseled of what's right or what's wrong, they just get taken to jail or, you know, get reported and go to mass or, you know, it just, unfortunate that they get treated that way and I think it's the leadership around them that has failed them and that's what I kind of really learned I was just always in my life was always trying to uh, help those help themselves and and you know my saying when I was in um, as a fleet mass chief was think ahead and we'll get there if you could think ahead we're going to get there you have the vision go see the vision and because I remember when I had um, Admiral Haney and Admiral Harris, and I'd say, hey, sir, I'm going to go see the the sailors around the forces in our Pacific. What do you want me to tell them? And uh, they would just say, hey, look at the command and let me know if they're ready to fight tonight. If they're not ready to fight tonight, you come back and you let me know and we're going to make a change with that leadership so they are ready to fight tonight. And that was really the bottom line.
0: You keyed into something that's very important. And for those that are listening, hey, it doesn't matter if you're in the civilian force, if you're in the military force, we are a sample of the community, right? So sometimes those samples, although they're ready and able to serve, are still a sample of what the community's brought up, right? So you're going to have good and bad either way, but we have a way of handling the bad. The other thing is that I think is so important about what you mentioned is the necessity for mentorship yes but mentorship at every stage of our life is critical i got as far as i did because i had great mentors me people too. that came into my life sort of like you philippe definitely like uh, marco and several other master chiefs and senior chiefs and, chiefs and first classes that yeah. served me as mentors so that I can skip all that riffraff of life, right? But yeah. mentorship, even before service, is so critical. And I think that us as a Hispanic community, if we were to do that more, we would produce more quality or 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 better citizens uh, that it, you know from our communities to either serve or not serve, however you want to sure. do it. But mentorship is key, so. What, uh, from the mentorship perspective, what was one thing that for you made a difference in your career, and from the mentorship perspective?
1: Jeez, man, I received such good mentorship all around that always kept me going, and I just thought it's always good to just to give back, give back. And I learned how to counsel, and I learned good things about counseling and bad things about counseling. I remember when I got my first counseling sheet for not doing my job the way I was supposed to my boss that gave it to me was the first class and he could see that I was like sad you know but he gave it to me and I took it and for about 20 days I was with my head down walking through nobody likes me what can I do you know and stuff And but he noticed that and then after about 90 days he gave me a second counseling sheet and in that counseling sheet he said what good I was doing, how good I was. And he gave me a day off, a special liberty, because I was doing good. So he hit me with what I was doing wrong and then turned around and hit me with what I was doing right. And that just was like so inspiring to me and just taught me so much. And when I was a young command master chief, um, I remember my first command, there uh, there was this sailor I would see. And he was a Hispanic sailor. And his hair was always like long, needed a haircut, needed to shave, you know, wearing white socks. I saw it, and I would go over there to talk to him about it. But before I went, I was prevented from meeting him for some reason. I remember getting a phone call, and it was a department head wanted to talk about a senior chief to see what she could do to help him make Master Chief. Can I come meet with her? So I said, okay. And I went, and I didn't get the chance to engage the sailor. And then the second time I saw the sailor saying he was the same and it was like, Oh, it's driving me crazy. I went over there to go see him. And then my CO calls and says, Hey, I need you to come up and talk to me about this manpower meeting that just came on my desk and um, let's do it together. And I thought, okay. So I went over there to go see him. The third time I saw him, it was that man, I wasn't going to answer any phones. I was going to let anything stop me. I was kind of already hot. And I walked up to him and put my hand on his chest and threw him to the bulkhead, And, um, I abandoned my rank because I shouldn't have done that, but I did it. I was, I was just upset. And, um, and I told him, I said, Hey, you're a member of this command and you should be proud of who you are as a United States sailor at this command. And your name is ownership and your name. What I see now is I don't care. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. I said, so you're going to come with me and I'm going to, you're going to shave. And I took him into my office. I had a bathroom and a sink. I got, um, a razor and raising, uh, shaving cream, and turn on the water and said, "Shave." And he just looked there for a long time in the mirror and looked at the stuff, and he said nothing. And I could see him look at me through the mirror, and I started getting really irritated because I was thinking, "How long has that water been on?" And in the Navy, we save water, you know, and here's this water being wasted. I started getting even a little more upset. And I was about to say, "You know, what is your problem?" And uh, before I just took that step to go do that i saw him take a long look at himself in the mirror he looked at himself for a long time and then he looked at the water and the shaving cream and then he looked at me through the mirror and um, in that voice he said can you show me and that just like floored me i didn't know what to do i didn't know what to do because i thought that he was just didn't shave because he didn't want to not because he didn't know how to and um as the conversation went on and meeting with them, I need, I found out he didn't have a father. He grew up with his mother, left her when he was 15 uh, because she had different boyfriends that would abuse him um, with physical, um, beat him up all the time. And so he just left and then finally just joined, he was able to join the Navy and then boom, there he was as a young boy without knowing pretty much of anything but trying to survive. And so I he shaved with me in the morning for about the next five days. And, uh, we, we, uh, during that time we were able to talk together and that guy just turned around and did such good stuff, but that was because we had an engagement of something bad that I saw. And, I, and I learned that I don't have to come to an engagement with, with a spear. Sometimes you just need to come with a hug and that would have solved the whole thing. But I just never knew that. And I think some of our young Hispanics fly under the radar that way, that, um, they always evade capture, you know, and that, that chance for mentorship. And when they finally do get captured, like I said, I was upset and I, I was mad. And, um, I put my hand on his chest and pushed him against the, the wall. It could have turned different ways. You know, I could have gotten in trouble for, for what had happened and stuff. But, uh, I learned from him. I think he learned from me and then we, we kept in touch and that guy became successful and I have always happy with that, but, uh, man. I tell you, it's just, it just, we just need to be able to do something just a little bit extra. And I just even remember my daughter, Morgan, who's a speech pathologist living there in Florida, married, has three kids. And we were in Spain, I mean, in Naples, and I was uh, working there at the uh, Navy support activities. And I was a chief petty officer. I made senior chief there. And my daughter was uh, in middle school, getting ready to go to high school and we were driving with her friends and I could hear them and she was on a cross country team. And being on that team, she was with different peers that had mentorship and they talked to each other about, hey, where are you gonna go to college at? Where are you gonna do this and stuff? And I was listening to that. And then she, uh, I heard her say something about school. And I said, Morgan, I want you to understand this. Dad's gonna always pay for you as long as you're being educated. The time that you'd stop being educated, is the day dad stops paying for you. And it was like a light bulb that went off in her head. And uh, she always picked it up with the rest of her friends and she went up to college and grad school and happy and doing good things. It just, I just wish that I could do more to help our young folks grow and be mentored, even not even just the young ones, even the mid age I mean, still have trouble. And I remember hearing this story from this, uh, this old Hispanic, uh, Marine and he uh, told me that after Vietnam he had such a hard time because the marines told him when to get up when to eat what to do how to do it where to go when to come back when to go to sleep and he was used to that order and when they released him and he came home he was on his own and he got lost and had no mentorship and just turned to the bottle and started boozing and stuff and Then he wakes up 30 years later thinking, man, there's got to be something better. And it just, it's a cycle that is just terrible. And we sometimes just need to step in and help those help themselves.
0: Amen. And i tell you the stories of the opportunities for leaders to, to have a positive impact on the folks. And for those of you listening and you're in leadership, you know, just take some time to ask questions, right? Ask questions there are a lot of things that we will apparently see that may be deficiencies, and I love your story because it looked like both of you learned at that time something right. <laughs> but for leaders listening, it's important to ask some questions just because you're in leadership doesn't mean that you avoid of having that responsibility and communication as well. But Fleet, you mentioned those points of wisdom there. What wisdom can you share uh, for those that are? coming into service now, maybe they had mentorship, maybe they didn't. Chances are that they probably didn't. But these young men and women from today's age are different, just like we were different when we were serving and we came in. But what would would you share with those coming into service now?
1: Gosh, what I would share with them is to make sure that where they're going and what they're doing They learn a little more about it instead of just sitting there and riding the bus to go and being told where to go. They got to learn what it takes to get ahead, what it takes to advance. And they got to sometimes do that little homework. What's the path? Where's the career path? Ask these questions of different leaders. What do I need to do? And they also need to do what they're told. And when they live within their environment and embrace it, they're going to be successful. And they need to ask their leaders once a week, like that guy gave me that advice, Bruce McDonald, who became the Admiral of the Judge Advocate General of the Navy. And he had had told me, go and ask your your first class, your chief, your division officer, what am I doing that I'm doing good? And what am I doing that I'm not? And that little conversation is gonna help you. And you got to have enough skin to take the bad things and reflect on them and what am i doing am i doing this bad how can i fix it and then seek ways of how to fix it and what to do better and put yourself with those folks that are succeeding and you'll be part of that path if you put yourself or don't hang out by yourself and you're just not looking to better yourself then that's kind of where you're going to end up but if you put yourself with the rest of the team and communicate, it's communicate. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. People will help you if you ask. People won't help you if you don't ask. Most leaders aren't good leaders and they're your bosses. But the moment you ask them, what am I doing that I'm doing good? They'll tell you. And the moment you ask them, what am I doing that I'm not doing good? They're gonna reflect on it for a little bit and then they'll start looking at it to help you fix that as well. But they're not gonna help you unless you ask them those two questions, because they're busy too. And it's easier for them to walk past you than it is for them to help you. And that's just life. So you have to engage it. Once they engage it and you get used to doing it, man, there's a light at the end of that tunnel.
0: And, and, you know, there's a lot of leaders listening that are Hispanic. There's some that are are not Hispanic, but for the leaders that are Hispanic that come from our communities, We all know what we come from. Uh, What would you suggest as they're navigating this duality, right? Because we're all American and we all have that sense of patriotism, but there's an element to the Hispanic culture that it could be in tandem and maybe sometimes it could be at odds, right?
1: (laughs) Oh, I agree. I agree with you. I I would say this to them is that, you know, you made it to a position and you're there but your people aren't and they work for you and there's many levels that are down beneath you and you have to realize and see those levels and what you need to do is engage those leaders who are given the people your words cuz sometimes things get lost in the translation you could meet with you could have 10 different managers and you meet with all 10 different departments and they're the heads and you're talking to them about what's going on and what you want and how you think we could get there and you have a good meeting and you think everybody's on the same page. Well, those 10 managers go back down to their people in their departments that maybe have 10 different divisions within that department. And they don't really communicate your words of what you want to the people. They get a different message. And then you're getting irritated as the main leader, because some of the people aren't doing what they're supposed to, and then you're thinking negatively about those people, but they're kind of doing what they think that they should be doing. So sometimes instead of communicating with your department, you need to hold all hands, call all your people, and you need to let them know what you want, what you don't want. You need to give them a vision Sometimes you just need to communicate with them like they're six years old. I call it idiot proof. And once you do that, the lowest ranking person hears the word from the main boss of what they want, how they want, and you just Mm -hmm. built somebody that's going to do something and carry your vision because they haven't had that words before. So those leaders who are behind their desk, they need to get out in front. Sending out an email is okay, but sometimes people can't understand what the tone is talking to them in front and let them know your vision and how you want it and your expectation and how they could get there and then giving them the feedback afterwards of watching them and going back and engaging them um, it's 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 an ongoing process. It doesn't happen once a year it doesn't happen once a quarter. it should be happening once a week, once a month. it's hard to do but you need to do it and you don't once you get into that cycle you don't have to take an hour to do that heck, it could be 10 minutes. It's just, it's like giving a sermon, you know, just giving, let them know what your thoughts are. Because when you have other people giving them your thoughts, they get misconstrued very easy and they don't get your thoughts. And then you're the one that gets frustrated. And if you're running businesses with money, you're losing money.
0: Yeah, I've always said that, especially like when we had the opportunity to influence policy there's always this commander's intent right (laughs) there's there's things that are written and then there's things that are not and uh for us as leaders we always had to be able to portray that or explain that that uh within this policy there's this intent and usually we get that misplaced but great advice there fleet for future leaders or current leaders and i really appreciate that
1: giving them the information information's the knowledge sometimes the leaders hide the information that they have you know it was just always it reminds me of like when i was a fleet master chief everything i would get i would give to all the force master chiefs the region master chiefs different command master chiefs the fleet master chiefs that are out there third and seventh fleet and it's, everybody was on the same page i all the information I had, I gave it to them. So we all had it. And then we can just bounce that way. Um, but don't hide it, man. Some folks just hide it. And they think information's power. Well, it is only to you, but you're going to be the loser.
0: Yeah, we have to definitely share uh, that with our folks. Now, if someone wanted to get a hold of your fleet, have a conversation about your time in the military and your experiences as a Hispanic leader in such a great way that you did Uh, how could they do that and what's your preferred method
1: no they could send me an email send me an email or 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 a message on my phone it doesn't matter man so you're welcome to pass out my my personal information i got my email address at uh it believe it or not it's cmc at gmail.com i was uh i guess i got that email working over there in Bahrain one time my email stopped and i had to have a do something with gmail and i made it there and then kept it since this day
0: and it's active because i use it all the oh, time good, yeah. so, so folks yeah we'll have that as part of the show notes and, and video so you can get a hold of fleet have sure. a conversation with him he's a heart of a man such a blessing in my life i know that in my trajectory especially over at pearl harbor that my career there between the two fleets John Minyard and Marco Ramirez, both these gentlemen, and Mark Sabal, which actually was the glue to all of us. <laughs> um, you know, without these three gentlemen and all the countless mess members sure. that made that tour such a blessing and such a success, I want to remind everybody that as we continue celebrating Hispanic Heritage Month, today's episode is sponsored by Triad Leadership Solutions. And Fantail Services, we're also powered by SuperPass. If you've enjoyed this episode and learned something interesting about the topic covered today, make sure to subscribe and let us know by leaving a comment right now. And we're always looking for new ideas and guests that we can add to our show. So if you know someone and have a topic uh, or have a topic that you would like featured on the podcast or want to sponsor our show, please do so by emailing us at triad at gmail.com and be sure to tune in next week for another episode where we dissect leadership from another angle. And as we like to end the show success to you. You too, brother.